Cataract. Part 5 of the John Sims vs. the NHS series. A Magnus Archives Bright Sessions Fan Fiction. Written by Black Satin Point Shoes. Read by God of Laundry Baskets. Summary. There's a way to strip dignity softly, and then there's the way to do it correctly. Or, John's having a rough night. Content warnings. Addiction, withdrawal, and vomiting. Disjointed. John's disjointed. He's off. He's wrong. He's sideways. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. John's bad. He can barely think for all the bad, for all the wrong, for all the disjointed. His brain is filled with fog, filled with cotton, filled with fuzz, fuzz up to his throat, up to his eyes, coming out of his ears. Everything is off and wrong and disjointed like drenched, then dried puzzle pieces made of warped cardboard that don't fit right together anymore. This is the pretty way to put it. This is the poetic way to put it. This is the literary way to put it. There is a way to strip dignity softly. And then there's the way to do it correctly. John's not disjointed, like an honor student who's just gotten a C. He's not sideways, like someone who's received the news that they're being laid off. That's all too poetic. It's all too pretty. John's spending his third night in a row vomiting in the Institute bathroom, under fluorescent lights that are so loud he can barely think, wondering if denying himself his god will kill him. His god. That's disgusting. It's disgusting, and John hates it. The way he hates the high of taking a statement. The way he hates the thrill of the hunt. The way he doesn't hate it at all. Instinct says the beholding needs to be fed, that he needs to be fed. It's been rewritten into his core, and John can't stop. Well, he's trying to stop. He's trying to stop, not by going cold turkey, he's not an idiot, but by reading small statements. Old statements. Statements that tickle the back of his neck and are over before the chill reaches the base of his spine. John feels physically hungry, which one would assume would be because he hasn't eaten in days. But once, Daisy disappointedly stared at him until John made himself a piece of toast, which he'd thrown up about five minutes after it reached his stomach. For whatever reason, eating doesn't work for John anymore. 
for whatever reason. Eating doesn't make John feel full unless he's read or taken a statement first. For whatever reason, John can't keep anything down unless he's read or taken a statement first. Because he's a monster, John can't eat. It's not even that he doesn't want to, because he's trying. He's trying. He feels like an animal sitting at the dinner table, making itself sick with food it was never meant to consume. He feels like he is a thing, trying to be a person, and God, he is so nauseous, so stricken by headaches and the roiling assault of withdrawal that John's dim consciousness doesn't allow him to imagine a world without constant, deserved agony. John doesn't know how long it's been since he'd had a day without pain, a day without need. There's barely anything in his stomach to vomit except bile. So John is spending his third night after Annabelle Kane dry heaving, bringing up not just spittle, but static. The ever-present desire to persuade, to know. The air is thick with it. John doesn't know what part of him would convince someone to give their statement, unless he's become so pitiable that his monstrosity is made sympathetic. Everything just hurts. His joints, his head, the soles of his feet, it all creaks and snaps like old wicker chairs, and it all hurts. The inside of his throat is burning, scraped raw, and John chokes on the statements he could have taken, on the knowledge he could have stolen, on the knowledge he could have stolen. If he goes outside right now, he will find someone to speak to. The instinct at the back of his neck tells him to walk three blocks west and lie in wait for a woman named Alina Moreau, who will be too distracted by her phone to notice that he is there, and when he asks if she needs help, she will speak and speak and speak until John is temporarily sated. He grinds the thought into the ground beneath his feet and is racked with a new wave of nausea, sent spiraling over the toilet bowl, these tiny, pathetic noises of pain leaving his mouth that sound nothing like he should. These small, whimpering sounds aren't befit for John, aren't befit for a monster. They sound human. They sound vulnerable. They sound needy, like a predator faking a wound, and God, John hates himself. It's, well, it's not a realization. He's known for a while. He's just never thought it so explicitly. Shouldn't he hate himself, though? Melanie does. Basira does. Martin does, apparently. And yes... There are other people in the archives. John knows this. But to lose Martin... John doesn't know what sort of proof this is. But he knows that if Martin hates him, he's crossed a line. If Martin hates him, 
John's not sure if he's redeemable. God, he thinks sardonically, resting his head against the cold porcelain. Dr. Bright will have a field day with this. Then, John comes to three conclusions at the same time. One, that he has therapy today. Two, that he doesn't trust himself to go outside. And three, that he never cancelled. And look, he's not thinking clearly. That's what he tells himself when he pulls his mobile phone out of his pocket and dials. It's just impulse, he tells himself, not the fact that he smelled a statement on Dr. Bright since the first day he met her. It's just courtesy, he tells himself, not hunger, not that sickly, amoral starvation. John can barely hear anything over the rush of compulsion in his ears. The line clicks to life with a puff of air and the rustle of sheets. John? Dr. Bright asks, her voice soft and throaty with sleep. Is everything okay? I'm... John swallows hard on the urge to ask, on the urge to steal, and can't shove it down. I'm not going to... I won't make it tomorrow. He wipes sticky hair off his forehead, tries to focus. Existing in his own mind is treading water in a flooded lake beside a broken dam. Dr. Bright's voice turns deliberate, careful. What's going on? she asks, and there's a distinct noise of her light clicking on as she sits up in bed. I'm... I'm... A hesitation. Not too long, though. She'll get suspicious, and there is static roaring in John's head. There is want growing in his fingertips. I'm very ill, Dr. Bright. He admits, finally, and anyone in the world could hear that he's telling the truth. She pauses. What's really wrong? Dr. Bright asks, frowning on the other side of the line. John doesn't know how he knows, but he just does. The eye is feeding him with the view of her statement, ripe for the picking. John slams the phone against the ground and throws up again. John! Dr. Bright's voice has jumped almost an octave with worry. John, why are you calling me now? Just, just to cancel, he rasps, squeezing his eyes shut. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, I'm just hungry. Sorry, I'm starving. Sorry, I'd like to crack open your mind and find out the truth about everything that hurt you. No says Dr. Bright, in a voice too soft for what John's about to do. It's okay. Don't be sorry. And if you'd like to tell me what's going on, I'm here to listen. But if you don't, I recommend that you get some sleep. I know I'll be doing that. 
He can hear her shift, can see a split-second image of Dr. Bright reaching for her light switch, her thumb hovering over the end call button, and even as John knows that this is bait provided by the beholding to keep him desperate, he panics. Wait. Yes? She sounds relieved that John is trusting her, that John feels safe enough after all these weeks of therapy to finally, finally open up. He's not. He's going to pry her apart, and he knows it will hurt, and he will never see Dr. Bride again. She will see him in her nightmares. She will hate him. And it will hurt. God, he is so, so ravenous. He's so hungry that he knows the consequences and can't care. Dr. Bright's voice is warm and solid on the other side of the phone, warm and solid and comforting and real, and it reeks of the supernatural. I'm here, she says, her tone welcoming, and John hungers for the satisfaction of the story. She is sodden with statement, with experience, with responsibility, and John is starving. He's insatiable and ill and treacherous and starving, and the static creeps into his eyes. Dr. Bright, he says, ragged, hand clenching the phone, and no, 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 he can't, he can't do this, not with her, not with her. Dr. Bright, I, can you tell me, can you tell me? It hangs in the air. It hangs, suspended, breath caught, wondering. There are so few lines he hasn't crossed, so few bridges he hasn't burned. But the words push themselves from John's throat. I need to know. John, she says, stern, sharp, and he gags on his words. There is a razor in her voice, the sound of a woman who has been persuaded, the sound of a woman who has learned to build her mind a fortress, the sound of a woman who knows what John is, but God, he wants to eat. John wants to stop shaking. John wants his insides to stop folding on top of each other and squeezing. John, what are you trying to ask me? I don't want your statement, John had cried in horror all those months ago at their first therapy session when he was worried about becoming a monster. That was another time when John was clinging to the knowledge of what was right and what was wrong. And, and... And, God, what the hell has he done? What the hell is he trying to do? John has a moment of rock-bottom lucidity. He has a moment of understanding. He has a moment of realization, where he turns the eye inwards and reconciles the fact that he would have carved out the memory of the only person who didn't flee him when he woke up for his own exploitation, for his own hunger. And, oh, God, he came so close. So he doesn't respond. 
He can't answer. He just retches again in nausea and disgust. Dr. Bright makes a sympathetic noise through the phone, and John hates that she still cares. She knows what he was trying to do to her, and she still cares. John, she says again, and the monster can't think or breathe or see for the fuzz that permeates his body and pulls him apart. John, Dr. Bright calls, cutting through the fog. Listen to me. I'm here, he croaks, not quite believing it, propping himself up against the wall and wiping his mouth. Dr. Bright is breathing on the other end of the line, and John can hear it, can hear her, and the compulsion fades. For a moment, he is a man. I'm here. In the back of his mind, the beholding rages. <laughs>